So as we come to 1 Chronicles tonight in chapter 15, we're picking up from two weeks ago where David, King David is establishing his kingdom around 1000 B.C. Of course, it's the Mosaic Covenant with the people of God in the Old Testament, the Israelites. And David is the second king. He's that amazing king that all kings are measured by, the great King David. And as he's come to power, he wanted to, well, he took the city of Jebus, which was uh, held by the Gibeonites, and they, they got it. Joab took the city. It became the new capital for the people of Israel as the 12 tribes were unified with one king. And they call it the city of David. Joab did a renovation of the city. It's, it, they got a central place. Their identity as a, as a nation, and more importantly, as the people of covenant, is coming together. And so David wanted to go get the Ark of the Covenant, which had previously been in Kirjath-Jerim. And the Ark of the Covenant is that famous uh, religious element that represented God's presence with his people in the Old Testament. It had been around for 500 years, and inside its gold and inside the box there uh, was the Ten Commandments, the second set of Ten Commandments. And it, in the wilderness wandering, it was God's presence with them, and it represented that. And so David naturally wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem to not only have a central place of government for God's people, but a central place of worship. And it's going that way. But as you recall from two weeks ago, when they're transporting the ark it on a cart, the wheel faltered and they grabbed it and they shouldn't have. And Uzziah was struck down, dead, and the party was over. They're having a big celebration. Everyone's in agreement. And then all went bad. And so they all... they. They put the ark at Obed-Edom's house, and they all went home and had to think about it for a couple months. That's the background that we're coming into tonight. So as we're coming forward, this chapter and the one after it, the central theme is this ark of the covenant, which was so crucial to the Jewish people, representing God's presence among them. And with that in mind, we pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 15. Now, David built houses for himself in the city of David, and he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. Then David said, no one may carry the ark of God but the Levites, for the Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of God and to minister before him forever. And David gathered all Israel together at Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord to its place, which he had prepared for it. Then David assembled the children of Aaron and the Levites of the sons of Koath, Uriel the chief, and 120 of his brethren. Of the sons of Merari, Asahiah the chief, and 220 of his brethren, and of the sons of Gershom, Joel the chief, 130 of his brethren. So that's 470 Levites that he'd called in that count there. Of the sons of Eliphon, Shimei the chief, and 200 of his brethren. Of the sons of Hebron, Eliel the chief, and 80 of his brethren. Of the sons of Uziel, Aminadab of the chief, 112 of his brethren. And David called for Zadok and Abathar the priest, and for the Levites, for Uriel, Asahiah, Joel, Shemaiah, Eliel, Aminadab, and he said to them, You are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves, you and your brethren, that you may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel to the place I have prepared for it. For because you did not do it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not consult him about the proper order. So the priests and the Levites sanctified themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel. And the children of the Levites bore the ark of God on their shoulders by its poles as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. 
And then David spoke to the leaders of the Levites to appoint their brethren to be singers accompanied by instruments of music, stringed instruments, harps, and cymbals, by raising the voice with resounding joy. So the Levites appointed Heman, the son of Joel, and his brethren, Asaph, the son of Berechiah, and their brethren, the sons of Merari, Ethan, the son of Cushiah, and with them their brethren of the second rank, Zariah, Ben, Jeziel, Shimramoth, Jehiel, Uni, Eliab, Benaiah, Masaiah, Mathathiah, Zechariah, Eziel, Shimramoth, Jeliel, Uni, Eliab, Masaiah, and Benaniah were stringed with strings according to Alamoth, Mathiah, Elephethiel, Fethiah, Mechaniah, Obed-Edom, Jeliel, Azariah, to direct with harps on the Shemiath. Cheniah, the leader of the Levites, was instructor in charge of the music because he was skillful. Berechiah and Elkanah were doorkeepers for the ark. Shabaniah, Jehoshaphat, Nathanael, Amasiah, Zechariah, Benaniah, and Eleazar, the priest, were to blow the trumpets before the ark of God, and Obed-Edom and Jaya, doorkeepers for the ark. So David really rebounded from his failure. Again, back in chapter 13, because it was 14 where he fought the Philistines, but back in chapter 13 when the disaster happened transporting the ark, he said, how can I bring the ark of God to me? And I've you know, just how can I is a great question that we all might have at different times of life. How can I dot, dot, dot? And we know that ultimately the Lord's going to have the answer to what we really need to do. And in his case, he said, how can I bring the ark of God if this is what happens? Well, David found to be true what we all find to be true. The answers, of course, are in God's word. It all went wrong back in chapter 13 because... They didn't consult the Lord. They didn't consult his word. And they didn't do the obvious. I mean, to me, it's actually kind of stunning that when David transported the ark, that he, he didn't just have, I don't know, Sunday school 101 in place. Because, I mean, you would think that David would have known, going back to the most basic stories of Moses and the law and all that, hey, the Levites, they carry the ark, not just any Levites, but the Kohathites of the subdivision, and they carry it on the poles. Like, that's, I mean, that's like... Hebrew 101 in children's ministry on the Sabbath. So I'm very surprised, actually, that David, for a man who had a heart for God, didn't think to apply that. But this is what happens sometimes when a long time goes by and you're not as sharp on certain things. Because it's been hundreds of years that the Ark of the Covenant's been with Israel. But remember, at one time, the Philistines captured it, and they were plagued by the Lord for having it, and then they sent it back on a cart. We don't know much about the ark since then, but it was there in Kirjath-Dirim. And it didn't quite maybe have the same place of influence as it had, of course, in the time of Moses. So sometimes you kind of lose certain things. In other words, there can be biblical truths that if you haven't really been applying them or looking at them, you might lose touch with the reality of them for your life. And we might forget, like, the most basic things, the most important things. Interestingly enough today... We've been working on a new ministry team list. You people on the ministry team know you got it today. And, you know, we collected addresses, made everything's current. We had everyone redo their testimony so I could read them and just be excited about what God's done in your life and be reminded of it. But as I'm looking at this final product of 
the ministry team, quarter number two, you know, April 2023, I'm looking, I realize it says 2022 at the top. I mean, the very top, it says, worship generation ministry team, 2022. Like, we went through emails, we double-checked grandkids' names and stuff like that. And here at the very top, we've got the wrong year. Sometimes the most obvious things are the things we miss. Isn't that so? By the way, that's why whenever I do an important document, I always have two eyes on it. Whether it's Jennifer and I doing a personal important document or a ministry one, I always have Sam. I have, even today before I did the memo for the team, I had Jennifer proofread it. It's just good. Because sometimes you miss the obvious. David missed the obvious. How can I bring up the ark? Well, I'm thinking, well, it's pretty obvious. The Kohathites carried on a pole. But give David credit in this story. He acknowledged where he'd gone wrong. He made it right. And this is how it works, too. You know, like, how can I make this right? Because we all make mistakes in our life by not obeying the word of God. We all make mistakes by missing something so obvious that would have been the right thing to do. And then it, it compounds itself if we don't recognize it and correct it. And this is where David is so strong with his failures. Because whenever he acknowledges mistakes, he would look to rectify them and make it right. Some of us would be so discouraged because Uzziah was struck down dead. We, we were angry with the Lord. We were frustrated. How can I do this? It's too hard to serve the Lord. I tried to get involved in ministry. I tried to plant this church. Nobody came. I'm over it. Like, those things happen in the human experience. Or the pastor's wife like, how can we do this? And it's easy to get frustrated. And sometimes when you have something go dramatically wrong against you, when you thought it would go this way, you can just be so disappointed and maybe even just walk away and not really look for the solutions or, or let God show you what went wrong and correct you in it and equip you to go forward. Just because Uzziah was struck down dead doesn't mean God doesn't have a plan for the ark to be in Jerusalem. Just because it didn't go right and someone died doesn't mean that God doesn't have a plan to accomplish this. What it means is you consulted one another and you all had unity, which is what we saw in chapter 13, but you didn't have obedience to the word of God. So what you have to do is look at the word of God and make sure you get back on track with obedience to it and to do it the way God says to do it. And look at David's rebound. He, he figured it out and he was already on the move. He wasn't sulking that, hey, the call went against us. We should have won that game. That was a bad call. It's all, you know, like we do that. I love David because there's no excuses. Man, chapter 15 is about making right where something had gone wrong. He, he prepares a place for the ark, and he organizes everybody. He said, look, only the Levites carry it. He's just saying what the word of God clearly teaches. He found the answer to how can I in the word of God. And I always say, Pillar number one of universal truth, the absolute core values of this universe is God's word is always right. The word of God is absolute authority from Genesis to Revelation in all things of the human experience. Everything, science, soul, and anything in between. It's always right. We can trust God's word for all things in the human experience. Or as Paul the Apostle said, the whole counsel of God. And I can tell you in 35 years of being in ministry and 36 walking with the Lord, where things have gone wrong in my life personally or in ministry is because I did not apply the obvious obedience to the word of God to that situation. And I've gone back years later like, Lord, how could this happen? How could we have known this guy would do this? And what? Well, I brought this to your attention five years ago, but you didn't obey the word of God and how to deal with this. And now this is what happens five years later. Wow. 
body of Christ, WG, reminded yet again tonight that all the answers to all of life issues, don't let some pseudoscience person try and tell you the Bible is not the final authority on everything. Because see, men devoid of the spirit and devoid of faith in women, they want to convince you like, oh, you do your church thing in church, but we do the real thing here in the real world because our God's science. Listen, I'll tell you what science is. Science is Jesus. And science doesn't love you. Jesus does. Jesus who's Lord over science. See, the devil wants to erode our confidence that all scripture is profitable, is inspired by God and profitable for righteous living. And he's done a pretty good job of it in government and pseudo higher education to dismantle and destroy the very foundation of what even defines a human being in our culture. And he's done it swiftly and quickly with delusion and death and demonic deception. It's so important now more than ever that someone who confesses Christ knows who we believe in, we're persuaded to keep that which you've committed to him, and that like Paul we can say, I've not heeded to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Billy Graham is one of the greatest men that ever lived, plus his wife. He changed the world more than any other person probably in human history for good. Once he decided out there in the San Bernardino Mountains that whether he understood all the Bible or not, he believed all of it from Genesis 1-1 to the end of the book of Revelation. And he changed the world. And faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So David's failure and his rebound just reminds us to always trust the word of God. We can always, always, always trust the word of God in all things of the human experience for identity, for relationships, for everything vertical and eternal and everything temporal and horizontal. We can trust it. And if things aren't going right, we've got to go back to the Word of God and seek the Lord, seek, knock, and ask, and figure out what it is we need to learn from His Word and by His Spirit to be successful and fruitful in what He wants to do in our life. And that is what David did. We can't be too prideful to admit failure. We need to be humble and sincere and seek answers so we can go forward and be successful and fruitful on the rebound with what God wants to do. I quit too many times in ministry because of failure and didn't take enough time to examine the cause and grow and learn from it. And I can't change any of that at 62 except to be a better version going forward. But I can't change mistakes in my 30s, 40s, and 50s, which I wish I could, which is why I want to reach more young people now more than ever. David's greatness was the ability to not be hypersensitive, take it personal, just regroup, go back to the Word, have a heart for God, figure it out and do what's right, and that's what he did. And in fact, we even see there in verse 13 where he says, because you didn't do it the first time, this is what happened. There's a proper order, we've consulted him, and now we're doing it right. When it goes wrong, body of Christ, WG, go back to the word, seek the Lord, figure out what was wrong, figure out what is right, and then do it right. That's the lesson of David. There's something beautiful in contrast about those Kohathites carrying the ark you know, on those poles, the second time around, everyone's singing and praising. And this time, it's, the party's not going to be interrupted. There is something that was profoundly wrong with the singing and the praising with the ark on a cart. But no one wanted to address it. No one wanted to say anything about it. And you can't tell me there wasn't at least one Hebrew in that parade saying like, you know, I think the guys are supposed to be carrying that thing. And then they're going home and like, wow, party's over. And the wife's like, I told you somebody should have been carrying that thing. And not just anybody, a Kohathite. Shalom, shalom. But you know what I'm saying? Like, it's an obvious thing. Man, that God be true to our mental liar. The 
I mean, just, like I say, it's not the obscure verses in the Bible that give me trouble. It's the obvious ones. It's right there. It's not 2022 on the ministry team list. It's 2023. It's right in front of me. It's the obvious stuff, and we need to obey it. Now we read on. Verse 25. So David, the elders of Israel, and the captains over thousands went to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom with joy. And so it was when God helped the Levites who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord that they offered seven bulls and seven rams. And David was clothed with a robe of fine linen, as were the Levites who bore the ark, the singers, and Chenaniah, the music master with the singers. David also wore a linen ephod. Thus all Israel brought up the ark of the covenant of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of horn, with trumpets and with cymbals, making music with stringed instruments and a harp and harps. And it happened as the ark of the covenant of the Lord came to the city of David that Michael, Saul's daughter, David's first wife, looked through a window, saw David uh, whirling and playing music. And of course, Samuel tells us he was dancing and she despised him in her heart. So here's this joyful day. And I want to go back to where it says in verse 16 that they were raising a voice with resounding joy. That was their job. Then we're told when they went and got the ark from Obed-Edom's house, they did so with joy. So there's this parade of happiness and joy. Like this is more than your sports team winning everything and having a parade in downtown Los Angeles or wherever. You know, like this, this, is, this, is, this is the people's entire identity. And it's all, it's never been, it's never been better to be a Hebrew than this day. David's the king. The city of David, the Jebusites aren't there anymore. They didn't belong there and someone finally dealt with it. They, they've, reno, they've renovated the city. It all looks great. Now we're bringing the ark. It's, we know what the problem was before. It's a joyful day and there's joy. Now, Michael, David's wife, this is a tough one. I won't spend too much time on it. There's different speculation what her problem was. But of course, we're told that she loved David, and he, he, he loved her. He, he killed 200 Philistines to make her his wife as a dowry, and he loved her. But Saul, his father-in-law, was so messed up in the head. He caused so many problems for David and Michael. He undermined their relationship. It was just, a, it was just horrible. It was just a, a bad ending. He gave her to another man to be married to him when David was being chased by Saul. So he would have got the news that this woman he loved his college sweetheart, they loved each other, and then now she's with another man. And even though he had other wives, it so disturbed him that when he became the king over all the, uh, all the tribes, he told Admiral, look, I'll make this deal, but you go get me my wife. And who can even know what's going on there? And I don't even really want to know. I got enough dynamics in my own experiences in life to try and figure out David's stuff. But he called for her to come to be with him, and she was in a place of prominence. And... Some speculate she was very upset to see David just having a good time with the Lord and the common people. Now, I kind of like that one because Jesus was loved by the common people. And Jesus hung out with the common people. And David is a type of Jesus. David wasn't wearing his king's garment this day. Like, he wasn't like uh, the goat, the greatest of all time. He's not, he's not above the crowd in the parade. Man, he's, he's got like the, the champion's t-shirt on and he's dancing in the streets on, you know, Figueroa, you know, like with everybody else. You're like, he's with the people. 
He's celebrating with, he's got the same identity. He doesn't have an identity that separates him from the people in the parade, singing the music, all the musicians. He's, he's not above them, he's with them. He's not like you see in movies where like sometimes those Asiatic kings are on you know, a high thing or whatever, and the medieval kings did the same thing and queens. And no, he's, he's dancing, he's throwing it down. He's having a great time and he's playing instruments. Like this is just the best. And it's such a beautiful scene. And maybe she was just offended that, like, how can you have that much fun with the common people? Maybe she's like that, right? Maybe because she came from wealth. Her dad was the richest man in Israel until he was struck down by the Lord. Her husband technically is the richest man in Israel. Maybe she just despised people who are just common people and happy with a cake of raisins and uh, a barley loaf, you know? Some people are like that. Who knows? But whatever the case is, we're told that she never had children with David from that time and these things. And it's just, it's, it's really sad. I feel like she's a victim in a lot of ways. But you know what? If you let yourself remain a victim, then you're then your own worst enemy. Because faith in God is to be the victor, not the victim. And once we quit making ourselves a victim of what these people did this to me or that happened to me, the boss, this, that, everything else, once you're no longer the victim, then you're the victor and you get on with life. So I can understand a lot went wrong for her. But she's, you know, she's, her dad was handsome, so she's probably attractive, late 30s. She can do everything she needs to in her day and age to make herself look beautiful. Man, stop being a victim. Make yourself beautiful. Humble yourself. Go back to your first love. And so many people accept the victim instead of being the victor. Faith and humility and obedience sets us free from being a victim. And allows us to be the victor. And she could have been the victor. She could have been out there too. But she just, she didn't have the humility or the willing heart to do so and be a part of it. Or even if she wasn't out there with him, she could have been there with her heart with him. She could have been in that moment. Because this was a time of worship and praise. And she could have been in that moment. And she mocked him like, oh, you're with all the peasant girls dancing in the street. And he said, I'll do it again because I was doing it for the Lord. It just wasn't in her. And that's too bad. Years of hardship and heartache, even though she had all these material wealth things that she still had in her life, she, she didn't have the heart. And it's too bad. It's very sobering when I, I think about that. But going back to the parade, it didn't stop David. It didn't stop the parade. Like her, her, her problem with the Lord and her problem with David, it didn't stop David. It didn't stop the priest. It didn't stop the people. It didn't stop the musicians. They were just, and that's how it is with the praise of the Lord, isn't it? When, so, when people just say, I've had enough of the Lord, and I'm mad at the Lord for this and that, it doesn't stop us from praising the Lord here. Jesus doesn't stop being the king just because people don't want to praise him. <laughs> He's worthy of our praise. Whether, like, people are going to praise, in eternity, people are praising Jesus. On earth, planet earth, people are praising Jesus. And it's just so hard to watch people like, just get weird with the Lord and not be able to have the joy of the Lord. And God's doing something special in this story, and, and if you were part of it, you were part of it. It was a special day. Don't miss a special day of joy with the Lord, right? Like, you know, that's the beauty of coming to church on a regular basis. You get some special nights. Like, oh, man, when Danny get your ass played, God of wonders, it's sort of like a, oh, another level. If you're playing baseball in your center field, the ball was hitting you went like this. You, you just, well, that one's gone, man. I'm not even chasing it down. Remember when Jeff Anderson was here for Christmas? And he, I mean, I realized right away, well, this is not, a, this, no, 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 this is a special night. We got the girl drummer 
We got it all going right now. Hey, you know, sometimes when you head coach, like, I called the right play. I called the right play. I called the right play. And it was a very special night. Danny Donnelly on our 10-year anniversary, when we forgot his guitar, and all he had was that electric Gibson, the Buddy Holly guitar. And he did all the worship on a Buddy Holly, like sounded like Buddy Holly on our 10-year anniversary. It was a special night. When God has a special moment, a special time, a wedding day, these things, something special, holy, consecrated is happening where people have joined the Lord and they're praising the Lord and the presence of the Lord is there. Don't miss it. Be a part of it. Enjoy it. Live it. What a day for the people of God. The joy of the Lord is such a great witness in a world where people are mostly not happy. The joy of the Lord and they brought that ark with joy. And David's like, no, this is not your, uh, this doesn't, this happens once in a lifetime when you bring the ark to Jerusalem. Man, I, I'm, I'm dancing from Obed-Edom's house. Hey, what's up, Obed? And, and I'm just, I'm, this, is, this is what I'm doing. Those guys are making animal sacrifices every 12 feet or whatever it is. But I'm going to dance from here. And those guys, they, those guys can play music all night long, man. They're just, they're like the Marachi band that just doesn't quit. You know, they're just going to go, 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 go. These guys got it going. They're super skillful. They're like Chicago or a band like that with the horns, and they're just going on and on and on. It's the loop track version because it's the day of the Lord, and it's the presence of the Lord coming to the people of God at the capital of God where the Son of God is going to come once and be hailed as the Messiah and come the second time and be hailed as the King of the universe. This day is a really special day. Don't miss your special day with the Lord. So I just I, I love to be at church and say, well, what's the Lord going to do tonight? So what, what, a, what, a, what a wonderful, the joy of the Lord and having that joy and being a part of it. That's the key. They had it and they did it. And Michael, she's just doing her thing. Don't, just forget about her. You're, you're, you and I, we're dancing with David and all those skillful musicians. And we're all in linen going, yes and amen. Chapter 16. So we've seen the answers in the word of God and the joy is in the Lord. Chapter 16, verse 1. So they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. And then they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. When David had finished offering the burnt offering and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Then he distributed to everyone of Israel, both men and women, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. It was a huge food and fellowship, like a national food and fellowship. And he appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord to commemorate, to thank, and to praise the Lord God of Israel. Asaph the chief, next to him, Zechariah. These are the same names from the previous chapter. Then Jeliel, Shemariamoth, Jael, Mathahiah, Eliab, Benaniah, and Obed-Edom. You know, Obed-Edom's everywhere, man. He's awesome. Jeliel with the stringed instruments and the harps, but Asaph made music with cymbals. Benaniah and Hazael the priest regularly blew the trumpets before the Ark of the Covenant of God. So they had this huge holiday, and now we read verse 7. This is actually Psalm 105, but it's also here in this text. On that day, so literally that day that we're all singing and praising the Lord and dancing in the streets, that on that day David first delivered his, this psalm into the hand of Asaph, and his brethren to thank the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. 
Sing to him, sing psalms to him. Talk of his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face forevermore. Remember his marvelous works which he has done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. O seed of Israel, his servant, you children of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Remember his covenant forever. The word which he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant which he made with Abraham and his oath to Isaac, and confirmed it to Jacob for a statute, to Israel for an everlasting covenant, saying to you, I will give the land of Canaan as allotment of your inheritance when you were few in numbers, indeed very few, and strangers in it. And he's singing that while he's saying it. Verse 20. When they went from one nation to another and from one kingdom to another people, he permitted no man to do them wrong. He rebuked the kings for their sake, saying, Do not touch my anointed ones and do my prophets no harm. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all peoples. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is also to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are idols, but the Lord made the heavens Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and gladness are in his place. Give to the Lord, O families of the earth. Give the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord glory do his name. Bring an offering and come before him. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. The world also is firmly established. It shall not be moved. Let the heavens rejoice and the earth be glad. And let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar in all of its fullness. Let the fields rejoice in all that's in it. Then the trees of the woods shall rejoice before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. And say, save us, O God, our salvation. Gather us together and deliver us from the Gentiles. To give thanks to your holy name, to triumph in your praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And all the people said, Amen, and praise the Lord. Yeah, if that song doesn't get you up and moving, you know, before teaching, I don't know what's gonna. You add horns and cymbals and double drum kits. You just get all, double bass, some electric, all those vocalists, skillful musicians. Man, what a day. Have you ever been at a Harvest Crusade when it's really going down at the stadium? Like when it's really like, you know, Jeremy Camp's on like song number three and he's, he's going all Jeremy Camp, he's feeling it and the stadium's going like this. I mean, that's awesome when that stuff happens. That's what this was like. But it's a little more organic, you know, it's a little more like coffee shop vibe in that way where it's like they don't have all that stuff, the amplifiers in the stadium. It's just, it's just the people of God and it's happening organically and it's special and it's awesome. Like what a day. You think about this, if you were there on that day, when you went home, you're like, well, that, that, was, that was quite a day. See, I've never been to a victory parade because I'm waiting for the Chargers or the Padres to win it all. So I may never go to a victory parade, but it's looking better for the Padres. I don't know the Chargers, the, the jury's out on that one. But like, there just has to be something about when, you're, when it really happens that way. But I have won the Pipe Masters, and I know what that feels like. And I've been a world champion coach when no one thought it was going to happen with a Bad News Bears type to serve team that was unbelievable. So I've had that, kind of like that type of, but who can even know like this type of day? There's just this day like there's no other day. 
Like, what could you compare it to? I'm using earthly things. Like when Kawhi Leonard and the Raptors won the title for Toronto, the whole city stopped. There was a huge parade. And, like, and now it's been like, what, five, six, seven years? I don't even know. Like, but that's temporal. This is the Lord. Like, this is so special. And what they're singing about. But notice the key thought in this psalm. And the key motivation in writing this psalm. To commemorate, verse 4, to commemorate, to thank, and to praise the Lord. To commemorate, to thank, and to praise the Lord. And then when you look at the psalm, it starts with, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. And it ends with, to give thanks to your holy name, uh, to triumph in your praise. And when the praise goes up, the blessings come down. That's just the way it is. And a heart of uh, gratitude is a great human attitude. And really, this psalm just reminds us that it is such a good thing to have a thankful disposition as a follower of Jesus Christ. One of those perplexing things you get when you've been around long enough on planet Earth is to hang around with people who are born again or love Jesus, but they're never, they're always kind of grumbling and they're always kind of unhappy. I've never quite understood that dynamic. It's like, they just, I don't know what the deal is. But the joy of the Lord is our strength. And when we have, when we're thankful, see, when the prism view of our life is based upon gratitude toward the Lord for who he is, what he's done, what he's doing, and what he's going to do, man, we can just, we can face this day. And the call doesn't, doesn't go your way. You don't get the job. You don't get the account. It just went against you on this thing, that thing, everything else. But you know, you know there's a, a way to praise the Lord in and through that, and you know he's got a plan in it, and you know it's going to work together for good. This is the great reality of being saved by grace, isn't it? Like if we're saving ourselves, we can't always feel that way. But our whole journey begins because of faith in Jesus and who he is and what he's done. And so like we know we've passed from death to life. We know we're going to put this corruptible away for incorruptible, this mortal for immortal, with this earthly for celestial, we know we're going from glory to glory. It's like the worst day on earth is not worthy to be measured by, you know, anything with heaven. Paul said they're not worthy to be compared. These light afflictions are not worthy to be compared to the glory that's to come. Just like how you can't say one word of heaven without losing the value of it, what Paul described to the Corinthians. It's the same thing. Like, so your worst experiences in the human experience, and they can be tough, and they can be frustrating. Because as we know, life is like trial, trial, crisis, trial, trial, crisis, wonderful day. You know, trial, trial, crisis. Like it, life works that way, but it's refining us for the glory of eternity where there is no more tears and sorrow. And since we're going to a destiny where there's no more tears and sorrow, I've walked, I've walked away from every memorial of a believer with hope. And I've cried at memorials. I've done memorials where I've cried, I've been at memorials where I've cried, but with the hope of Christ, when you, ultimately when you get in that car and you drive away from a memorial, you know, man, we have a living hope. It's an anchor to the soul. And no matter what the worst human experience can throw at us, the day of glory that's coming, these worst experiences cannot be compared to that. They just can't be compared. So with that truth, we know that we move our heart toward gratitude and it helps us keep the right attitude. For me personally, the very first thing I pray for and think about and meditate upon in the morning is humility and gratitude. Because I want to set myself up 
for the blessings. And I want to set myself up to be fruitful for the day. And I want to set myself up to see Jesus today if I'm going home. And if I'm walking in humility and I'm walking in gratitude, I'm ready for the trumpet to sound and call me home. I've had this weird sickness and I had chest pains a couple nights ago. Hey, listen, when men in their 60s get chest pains, you know, it gets your, you know, it gets you get your thinking. But I know I'm super healthy. And I know it's just this random sickness kind of moving around me, body aches. I'm like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give this about two hours. Jennifer's already in bed. I'm going to give this one about two hours before I wake up and say, let's go to Kaiser. But I was laying there going like, wow, what if this, what if this, is, my, what if this is my day, though? Like, man, what would I want to tell Zippy? I just had Zippy over here the other day, you know? Like, what would I, what would I want to tell Jennifer? Like, what, do I have really things in order? Like, am I really, like, like what, what if I'm, what if I'm, Lord, what if this is like, this is going to happen tonight between midnight and four? Like, well, if it happens, it happens. And what's in order is in order, and what's not is not. So prepare to meet your maker with an attitude of gratitude and humility so he can bless you for the day and for all eternity. David loved the Lord and was grateful before the Lord. Man, this, this, this whole day is a day of gratitude. David is steering the ship. He's the captain over it all. And he's saying, we're praising the Lord. We're, giving him, we're serving the Lord. We're obeying the Lord. And we're praising him. And it's Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving. Let's all sing Thanksgiving to the Lord. Like he understood how it really works. Praise the Lord and give thanksgiving. Now, we wrap it up here in these last few verses of chapter 16, verse 37. The people just said, amen, they praise the Lord, man. Free food, great concert, amen, and praise the Lord. <laughs> verse 37. So they left Asaph and his brothers there before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to minister before the Ark regularly as every day's work required. And Obed-Edom with his 68 brethren, including Obed-Edom, the son of Jedithan, just Hosea to be gatekeepers. And Zadok, the priest, and his brethren, the priest, before the tabernacle of the Lord at the high places, at the high place that was at Gibeon, to offer burnt offerings to the Lord on the altar of burnt offering regular, regularly morning and evening, and to do according to all that is written in the law of the Lord, which is commanded, which he commanded Israel. And with them, Heman and Jedithun and the rest who were chosen, who were designated by name to give thanks to the Lord because his mercy endures forever. And with them, Heman and Jedithun to sound aloud with the trumpets and the cymbals and the musical instruments of God. Now the sons of Jedithun were gatekeepers. Then all the people departed, every man to his house, and David returned to bless his house. Now, in this last part, we see something interesting. So you've had this amazing day. You've accomplished this huge goal. It's almost like when people get a new church building, like when this sanctuary was built years ago. Shoreline existed before the sanctuary was built. Some of you know that. Well, when they did their 50th anniversary, we saw how it originally was, it's six acres, and how people fought the church being built here in the 60s. And it originally was like the fellowship hall over there and one story, but eventually the sanctuary was built. And I can only imagine what a glorious day it was when the sanctuary was built. The joy of that Southern Baptist congregation in the early 70s when this sanctuary was built. Or how about Calvary Christian Mesa, Pastor Chuck? Can you imagine how exciting it was to get out of the tent? You lost something organic in the tent, but man, you move in that sanctuary and Chuck would have been like, all right. You know, like, it would have been like really amazing. That's the kind of context here of like something so powerful and special happened. 
But what happened wasn't so much uh, a reflection of 25 years. For example, uh, Lance, Pastor Lance, who makes the surfboards up there in La Habra, they had their 25th anniversary as a church not that long ago. And we were invited to come attend it or whatever. So they're celebrating 25 years of God's faithfulness. Now we'll celebrate 18 years of God's faithfulness in June. But this is celebrating a new beginning. See, this is like a grand opening, you people in businesses. This is a grand opening, a new, new outlet mall, that, that kind of a thing. So where do you go from here? Like, where do you go from this amazing day? Like, everyone's going to go home. Everyone's going like, yes and amen. They're going home. But wh- what do you do now? Well, what you do is, like Pastor Chuck with the Jesus Movement, you have momentum, and you do the right things to mo- maintain the momentum. You've built momentum, and now you need to maintain momentum by doing the basic things faithfully every day to keep it going forward in the right direction. That's what you do. Look what it says here. It says in verse 37, to, uh, with the ark, before the ark, regularly, every day's work required. Let's think about that phrase. Regularly, every day's work required. Regular, every day required. Now, see, those are words I generally don't like. You 7.45 a.m. commuters would know what I'm saying. Regular, every day required. Regular, every day required. I'm like, that, that just that doesn't sound like, like happy feelings gone, you know. That doesn't sound as fun as free food in the concert all day long with everyone just ripping on the electric guitars. Like, it's not as fun sounding. Regular, every day required. But as older people testify, what is life? It's regular, every day required. And in being faithful and fruitful with regular, everyday required, you, have, you go forward with the momentum of what God's done in your life, you maintain that momentum, and you expand that momentum. This is where I've had great failures in ministry in times past, and this is where I intend to be most successful and fruitful from here to eternity. Because it took me about 60 years to figure this one out. I like dramatic stuff. But I'm learning, it's, like I said, it's the faithfulness of the required stuff, the regular stuff, the everyday stuff. Not only that, what's it say back down there in verse 40? Regular morning and evening. Oh, morning and evening stuff. Like Billy Graham milking the cows before school as a teenager and milking the cows after school as a teenager. You do know Billy did that. Billy Graham grew up on a farm in North Carolina. He milked the cows before school. And the same cows after school. And this is where greatness really happens. We talk about this with Pastor Chuck. He didn't change who he was ever in his journey. It's just a compound effect of his faithfulness and the momentum and then maintaining the momentum of what God did during the Jesus movement. We're still here tonight carrying that over. And this is how it works in our life. The regular required morning and evening, building, maintaining, that's the stuff of greatness with the kingdom of God. That's the stuff of greatness. And I'll say this. I, I got an email today from Greg Laurie in the Harvest Crusade. I was just talking with Jennifer about Harvest yesterday. I said, you know, I really figured out something about Greg Laurie. He's greater than I think he is. And I think he's pretty great. But I thought, you know, we were at that first Harvest Crusade at Pacific Amphitheater. And, yeah, it just keeps going. You notice COVID didn't stop Greg Laurie. It stopped a lot of people. A lot of ministries, a lot of people stopped from COVID. But Greg Laurie never stopped. In fact, he did Easter service for the president, right? 
Like, he just kept going. See, he has momentum. We saw the Harvest Crusade birth and the excitement of it, and it continues to have momentum. He refuses to surrender the momentum of what God's established. And even this year, they can't use the infield at Anaheim Stadium for people to come forward. So today, they announced publicly they're in the Honda Center because they want people to come forward, and that's a critical element of a Harvest Crusade. I'm like, look at Greg. See, a wise man scales a city wall. They tell Greg, no one can come forward. He goes, well, I'll tell you what, people absolutely come forward to Harvest Crusade. So what's the solution? How do we maintain the momentum? We didn't go for 30 years plus with Harvest Crusades to roll over because MLB says you can't have people come forward on the infield turf. See, that's how we have to think. We need to get the momentum with the Lord, and then we need to keep the momentum. And we keep it by doing the little things faithful every day, every day, every day, every day. That's how it works. And if you really crush it with momentum, then you get acceleration where you can, like, jeopardy, double jeopardy, where you get the bonus. If you've got consistency and you've got momentum and then you throw an extra one on there, boom, it goes even more so. But that's another Bible study. All right? So WG, body of Christ. David saw that. He's like, no, we're not giving this up. We didn't come this far to give up this holy place, this holy ground. We're going to consecrate this, and we're going to keep it going forward day after day with things that are required, things that are faithful, things that are diligent, morning and night. That's what he did. What a lesson for all of us. See, that's why we never retire. Why would you build up momentum of a lifetime of work and service to retire and lose all your mojo? No, we got to go, go, like Pastor Joe. Forward, onward, upward, from glory to glory. Yes, and amen. amen.